Friday, November 12th, episode 128 of the Hezzy. As always, it's brought to you by BasketballGods.net. Got some new podcasts coming through the BasketballGods.net network, so stay tuned. College basketball season started this week. I'm sure some of you saw that highlight. What was it, Riverside? With the buzzer beater against ASU last night, man. The dude goes for the steal. He turns and bangs it. Ooh, wait. Straight out the movies. Now, I've had my eye on this kid, Chet Holmgren, for about a year. Just by the way that Mike Schmitz and uh, some of these draft dudes have been speaking on him. Like, yo, yo. Because when you, when you saw the high school highlights, he just he, he's a super skinny, tall, white, seven-foot kid. And uh, now at Gonzaga, he's only played one game, right? This is just quick first impressions. I think the only real question, is his body going to hold up, right? Because he has everything else. He has all the intangibles. He's a basketball player. He's got the juice. Um, You know, out of the gate, my first impressions is, yeah, it looks like it will. If I were to guess, when you look at his gait, you look at his posture, the way he carries himself. He just looks smooth. He looks comfortable in his seven-foot body. And that's kind of what I gauge where, you know, um, you, you look at the other end of the spectrum where it's like a Zion type of athlete, a power athlete, and you're like, oh, these landings, there's too much weight there. Or you look at the Durant, Holmgren type body where it's like, yo, are they going to hold up? Are they too weak? How do they carry themselves? <clears throat> are they comfortable in that big frame? And he looks very comfortable. What he already knows how to do is hollow out defensively. It's Drew Hanlon, NBA trainer. He always talks about it, right? And then what happens is is he doesn't try to match strength with bigger players. He knows how to kind of hollow out his midsection so he can absorb the contact or contact that doesn't really happen, and then his length takes over. You see it with some of these skinny guys, and he's, he already has that down. That should help him stay healthy until he gets stronger, right? And so... Yeah, man, just early impressions, keeping the tabs on him. Now, there's this other kid for Duke. What's his name? Paolo Bancaro, Italian black kid. You look at his face, his facial structure and the name, you go, oh, is he a foreign kid? No, no, no. He, he grew up in Seattle, six foot 10, 250 pounds. And, uh, yo, to me right now, the, the Chet Holmgren looks like he might be a consensus number one. I forgot to say that, right? But we got to see, is his body going to hold up Gonzaga? Always is a little too dominant, it seems like, in the regular season. We'll see what type of class they have. Um, but yeah, this kid for Duke, he already has the mellow size-up ISO package, right? And he's, he's built like a truck. You know, some people think he could go number one. Now, I got to see more. I've been keeping tabs on Chet for a longer time, so I'm a little more familiar with him. And it's early for both of them. He looks super polished. I'm a little bit skeptical because I've, I've been scammed too many times from these Duke dudes that look like they're ready for the league, right? You know, Jabari looked super polished. Okafer looked super strong and polished and ready for the league. And so Dukey's got me a little skeptical, but he he's another possibility. So I'll continue to keep you up to date with the prospects and, and maybe even get into some breakdowns as we get a bigger sample size of this year's draft class. Another headline I saw on social media, NBA players are hoarding Kobe's. It's true. It's true. I don't know. I mean, you, you guys use StockX or GOAT, any of these shoe dealers, online shoe dealers, and you look at the prices of Kobe's, you're not getting a pair for under $500. If you wear, you know, 
12s and ups, right? Most hoopers have size 12 and up. And in, in all those bigger sizes, you can forget about it. It goes beyond just paying homage to Kobe. They're the best performing signature shoe. That's really what it is because Kobe would have had it no other way. If you, you know who Kobe was, right? And every year he would add to his models. I have a pair of the Protros, um, but I had them before he passed away and before the craze of Kobe's happened. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mix of paying homage and then they're the best performers. So I don't blame these NBA dudes. They're willing to throw two racks at a pair and you see all of them wearing us normal people. We can't get a pair. Rockets Pistons the other night. Someone got to win. I think I've watched way too much of Houston this season early on, but I, you know, it's, it's those rookies, man. I wanted to see those rookies, Porter Jr. as well. Over the summer, I was giving out some tips on pickup ball and some things you should look for or do. Jay Sean Tate, that's the type of dude you want to avoid matching up with, right? Like nothing good can come from it. Just make the business decision. You don't let your pride get in the way. If you have to, you have to, right? But that type of rugged dude who just is a bull in a china shop and and willing to put his body on the line, I, that's the type of dude I'm like, ah, no, I'm good. I'm good. But uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts on this game and the Rockets. Why does Kevin Porter and Jalen Green hit the floor like they're playing a completely different sport? Watch those guys when they try to sell a foul and they're going to the paint they hit the floor. They need to stop all that. They hit in the floor in just a weird fashion. But Jalen heated up in the second quarter, and he was chirping at Cade, took him baseline for a two-handed dunk, almost hit his head on the backboard. But I think what you saw was the difference in these two top picks, where Cade is Braun-like and Jalen is Kobe-like in mentality. In mentality, be clear here, because Cade is always going to try to make the basketball play, and Jalen is going to try to take over with consistent offensive pressure, right? That's the, the difference in mentality I see. Overall, though, like to me, my takeaway kind of is, is why is Detroit so bad? Didn't they think of themselves as a playoff team this year? I guess every team thinks they're a playoff team unless you're Houston or OKC. I didn't necessarily think they would be a playoff team, but I didn't think they would this be this bad. I thought they had enough vets, Olenek, uh, Corey Joseph, Jeremy Grant. I, I guess that, you know, the, the excuse is, oh, we're playing all these young guys, Killian, Bay, Stewart, and then now Cade. But I think if you're Jeremy Grant, you have to take a look at the start of this season when you guys have two wins and understand you ain't him. Hopefully Cade is, but you ain't him. And I'm not even, Jeremy Grant is nice. He's nice. He could potentially be the second best player on a contender. Maybe, maybe, but he damn sure ain't the first because y'all wouldn't be this bad, right? Someone's got to get them stats. And so Detroit ended up pulling away late in this game in Houston because of their vets. As far as the trash talk goes between Jalen and Cade, I love it. I thought it was more of, I thought there was a little more respect between the two, but it looks like, no, Jalen's really trying to bring the smoke, but Cade, you can just tell Cade's a more mature kid. But keep the 90s vibes. I'm with it, man. Let's start this rivalry now, and none of this AAU dap it up and shout each other out on social media. Now go to each other's next. I'm here for that. So Cade gets round one. Both of them played well, I should say. Both of them had like 20 plus points. Warriors, Wolves. Carl Anthony Towns is the most overrated player in the league. It's that simple. He's allergic to contact. He's a dumb defender. And clearly, he's not a leader. I myself have tried to lay off Towns because of the last year of his life. It's awful. 
just objectively speaking as a basketball player, as a franchise player, he ain't it. He ain't it. And enough's enough now, right? What, what, how many seasons has he played? We're no longer dealing in potential here with Towns. He is who he is. I think the irony of this Wolves team is the two name brand stars in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are, to me, the ones that are holding this team back. If you were to swap those guys out with like just some mid stars, not superstars, not, you know, just like some guys that were fringe stars, it'd be a lot better for it, man, because you can see Ant-Man's ready to take this thing over. 48 points against my dubs. Now, 48 points is impressive regardless of how you get it, but if you watched it within the context of the game, it came real easy. The Warriors didn't pay him enough respect, and so it was light work for him. He was efficient with it, and it just kind of came within the flow of the offense. He didn't even dominate the ball, so I guess maybe you could argue that's even more impressive. Now, I've been killing Kavon Looney in my breakdowns on Patreon this year. And I think rightfully so, man. He, he's been rough. So I got to give him love. 11 points, 17 rebounds, 17 rebounds. Hey, even if half of those rebounds were off his own misses, that's a lot of rebounds. It was the motor and assertiveness that Kavon showed that was just so nice to see, right, man? It was so nice to see. And, uh, you know, you know, you know who Looney is to Dub Nation, right? He's the kid in your clique in high school or when you were growing up where y'all would kind of tease him. He was the kid that y'all would kind of poke fun at and, and, and tease, right? But anybody outside of the clique says something, you on their neck. And that's kind of how Dub Nation treats Loon. Like amongst us, we, 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 you know, we get frustrated and we clown him a bit. But if another fan base says something, hands off. He is in the inner circle of this dynasty. I will never forget that. But it is what it is. As doing what I do, you objectively have to say what's happening in the moment. And he's been bad this year, up until the other night against Minnesota. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, I think that sometimes because we all know of Looney's physical limitations, we give him a pass. And we can't give him a pass with his motor because last night he showed he can still rev the engine and, and play a lot harder than he does on a nightly basis. But I guess realistically, Loon can probably only rev his engine up like that maybe five or six times a year because of his physical limitations. So I got to be fair. I got to be fair. But it was great to see him. Now, Wiggins, on the other hand, <laughs> he isn't afforded that physical excuse, right? We know we're not going to get woke wigs as much as we want. But can he be a 16 gamer like Draymond calls it? In other words, can we get playoff wigs? Feels like he's been in the league so long, but he's only played in one playoff series. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? But it was that Houston series, the Jimmy Butler season. So we still don't really know if he can harness this version when it really matters. One thing's for sure, he can harness it when it really matters to him against LeBron or now against Minnesota. So it remains to be seen. I'd like to see him string a couple of these games together to give us a little confidence like, okay, in a playoff series, he could be a major factor. On to the Jordan Poole Draymond spat. I think they were both frustrated at the refs. Uh, I think it was an accumulation of a bunch of little things. A couple times I saw Draymond call for the ball back when he gave it to Poole and Poole started to dance with it. And he, Draymond did his like, put his arms to his side. He visibly was frustrated, right? But to me, I think this was healthy. I think it was good. I think we need some guys in the locker room that are willing to call Draymond on his shit. Because there's not many of them. I bet you Kerr was at half-mast during this whole argument. I think it could be healthy conflict. 
And they kept it in-house. It was fine. I think everybody is like, oh, no, because of the Draymond and Katie thing. That thing ran deep. That was deep. This ain't that, right? And most likely what happened was Jordan Poole called Draymond on some of his mistakes. Draymond was probably yapping at Poole and a, a number of people about what was going wrong. And Poole probably was like, oh, yeah, well, what about you and this? And then Draymond didn't like it. But again, I think it was healthy conflict. It's much to do about nothing. Other subjects to the game. Remember, this was a Nemanja Bialica revenge game as well. And he was a little perked up, particularly on the defensive end. Got some blocks on Towns. And he just defended much better. He contained, he gapped better on the perimeter. And I think that moving forward, if he can defend better, that's going to be huge. Look, he's never going to be a plus defender. We know that, right? Again, talking about physical limitations. But if he's not going to get picked on like we've seen early in the season, then there can be times where Kerr could leave him out to close games. Speaking of closing games, have you noticed how good Andre has been in the Draymond role offensively? The other night, we know Draymond goes out with the knee, and, and so it was forced. But it really started a couple games ago when he had the 10 assists, and they had him in the post in all the split actions. And in my breakdowns, I've been talking about how he really is the better passer than Draymond. Why? Because he's the more conservative passer. He's not thirsty for the home run pass. He's just going to take the pass that the defense gives him, and he's super patient. You can tell he's having a blast doing it. And down the stretch of that game when it got tight, how many easy baskets did Andre get us with his, you know, just being patient in the Draymond role? And so, look, Draymond's been amazing. Like, he's probably a defensive player of the year this early. Gobert's always in the mix for that, right? But I'm not saying we don't need Draymond. I, I think he's, I've loved the way he's been aggressive offensively. He's just been great. So I'm not trying to sh throw shade at him. I'm just saying something to keep an eye on here in the final five, six minutes of a game, depending on the lineup. Andre, I don't know about you, but I just feel a little more secure with the ball in his hands because, again, he's not just looking for that flashy pass. He's just going to be patient and take the easy pass. So tonight, Bulls to close this homestand. I don't know. Draymond, I would guess, is going to rest from the knee contusion. Hopefully it is just a, a, a thigh contusion, nothing to do with the knee. The Bulls are now missing Vucevic. He entered COVID protocol, what, like 48 hours ago? The thing is, if you've been watching the Bulls, Vucevic has been bad. He's been the worst of the new acquisitions. I guess he isn't technically a new one from this offseason. But he's kind of had the yips. He, he hasn't figured out when to take his shot. He's, his spacing has been good, right? They're still utilizing his his gravity, if you will, but he hasn't been that great. And so if you take both Draymond and Vucevic off the floor, then fine, okay, kind of like an equal trade right there for this game. I think that what we're going to see is Lonzo and Caruso are going to keep Steph to mere mortal numbers, right? He'll get his 20, 25 points because he, he wakes up like that. But I don't think they're going to allow Steph to go off. Those two are very good at staying attached. They're physical, they're long. And so now that brings me to... Do they put Wiggins on Levine or DeMar? I think you go Zach. I think you go Zach on Wiggins. Were they the former teammates in Minnesota, right? And then if there's no Draymond, do you start Andre on DeMar? I don't know. Kerr usually likes to start the young guy and then still bring the vet off the bench. But there's some interesting matchups here. I think whichever team's role players shoot better will win the game because I think what I'm getting at is with these matchups is they're going to kind of neutralize each other. They're going to go blow for blow, and then you're going to just see what role players can contribute. And if we're going by that, I think the dubs 
will take the win because of the depth and the shooting they have off their bench. Got a lot of Warrior stuff here in this episode, but a lot of Warrior stuff happened. I want to talk a little bit about this Joe Lacob interview. It was on 95-7 The Game, uh, Bonte, and uh, I forget the other cat, man, no disrespect, but it's a good show, 95-7 The Game, Bay Area local show. Couple of thoughts from this, this Lacob interview, man. First off, he he ain't hiding the fact that he's more hands-on than Cosby. Y'all know I had to slip some, some wild shit in there. I had to slip some wild shit in there, but a couple of quotes that stuck out to me. It's every little thing. People ask, what's the one big thing? There isn't one. Every little thing matters. And I was shaking my head when I, when I heard him say that because I'm one of them as well. I'm one of them as well. You can ask my family. I drive them crazy. I'm one of those people that's everything matters. Every detail matters. And so I really liked that. And then the other thing that stuck out was he said, if you don't have an opinion, you shouldn't be here. Which to me means I don't need yes men. I need smart people with ideas. My overall takeaway was you listen to them and you can hear why they've had so much success, right? Because he, yeah, he's in the mix with everything, but it sounds like he also understands that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And another quote was, I don't overrule very often. So I think that, you know, a lot of people maybe cringe at the fact that he's so hands-on and he's in the mix with everything, but if he can take a step back and see things for what they are along the way, I think him being involved is a good thing, man. Like he hires smart people, sounds like he listens to them. And then he watches them like a hawk. There's checks and balances all the way down the organization, right? It's clear to me that him being so invested drives his competitiveness. The other thing that was very clear is he is super invested in James Wiseman. Clearly, Wiseman was a lake of pick because he, he even admitted it like he's in on all the decisions, which I think is fine to an extent. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? Anthony Slater brought up a great point. He was on Zach Lowe's pod the other day. And he said, you know, they took Kaminga and they took James Wiseman. Not fits for the system. They passed up on, on Franz Wagner, LaMelo, Davion Mitchell, guys that seemed like they would fit the system a lot better, right? I think they took the upside picks for two reasons. One, they're both so raw and young, they can be molded. And then two, Let's be honest, the system is Steph. The system is Steph, right? When he does finally ride off into the sunset, so does the system. And so I don't think they wanted to put all their eggs into the system basket. The Phoenix Suns have now won seven in a row and are back atop the West. The interesting thing, though, is DeAndre Ayton has been out, right? Frank the Tank has filled in just fine the last four or five games which is kind of proving the Suns' point on not maxing Aiton, right? His positional value is low in their system. So we'll see how that plays out. I think, I think the funny thing, though, is during this Robert Sarver drama is people were kind of as concerned, well, how's this going to affect the team? I think they're hyped, right? They're loving it. They can't wait to get his ass out. It probably has helped them get over their finals hangover. The Sixers and Raptors last night, I was thinking, I'm watching Tobias Harris back, and I'm like, does, does anybody get a bigger pass than Tobias Harris on a max contract? I guess it's just perception, right? Like, because Tobias, would he come out of Tennessee? 
late lotto pick was even in the lotto. He, he never was supposed to be a star. And so the perception is different on him, right? But he doesn't get nearly as much pressure as some of these other guys on a $200 million deal. What is it? $180 million deal. So he gets roofed late in the game by Scotty Barnes. And then Fred Van Vliet with a weak side dagger three hits the coconut dance on him. I'm always here for a coconut dance now. That shot itself, I mean, what are you going to do? Not take that shot, Fred? I don't think it was really a big a big deal to, to take and make that shot. You had to take it, but uh, it was still fun to see, right? But the other news now is the Ben Simmons shit is getting worse. I don't know who is ultimately strategizing this, if this is just sincerely Ben's plan or if Rich Paul is behind all this. But if it's Rich Paul, man, he might fuck around and ruin this kid's career, man. So he's essentially trying to bait the Sixers organization into saying, look, we don't believe you. We don't believe you, right? And then I'm sure in turn, some sort of lawsuit would be filed in order for Ben to no longer get fined. So they're playing all sorts of legal games here. But I think that they've got to be very careful how far they take this mental health thing. Because at some point, you would imagine Ben Simmons wants to get back on the floor and compete as a confident player. So be careful how much you disclose about your mental health and what it is and what it isn't. Wrapping this up here, free Marvin Bagley. I guess there was footage of him refusing to check into the game the other night for the Kings and Luke Walton. And I just, I don't know why someone doesn't take a, a, a flyer on this kid. What will it cost you? Probably just a roster spot, right? I don't think the price is very high to pry him out of Sacramento. And then my thing is, how many times have we seen a young player Leave a bad franchise and flourish. You could probably point to five or six Sacramento Kings. <laughs> and so to me, I don't know why someone doesn't, doesn't take a, a flyer on Bagley and just rescue him up out of Sacramento. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's talk around the league that he's, he's a bad seed. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he's had bad injury luck and Luke Walton don't like him. I'm on Twitter and I see mass ejection in Utah trending. Oh, what the hell is it? Okay, so I pull up the clip, and it wasn't shit. It was a whole bunch of why yada between Miles Turner and Rudy Gobert. So that's good. You don't want real fights. You know, people getting hurt, suspension. So, you know, it wasn't really nothing. Um, Clippers, who did they beat the Heat last night? They came back, beat the Heat. Heat, after that hot start now, kind of kind of shaky here on this West Coast road trip. But you know what I thought was interesting was, I think it's dope to see the progression of the G League. From the high schoolers now playing with the Ignite, you get vets trying to make a comeback, get back in the league, and now you're seeing rehab assignments. Serge Ibaka was playing in the G League last night. Now, you know, he's coming back from back surgery, and, uh, you know, a few seasons ago, someone of his status would never go play in the G League, and it just goes to show you that the perception of what the G League is has changed, and organizations in the NBA, they're just using it so well. It's helping the overall league in basketball. So I think that that's dope to see. Y'all enjoy the weekend. This is The Hesit, brought to you by basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.